Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor, Michael Norman. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. Good morning. It is, uh, it is good to be here. You know, we, uh, we missed last week because um, we were ministering at the church whose pastor we're stealing to put here. And so uh, we missed the handoff, and we're so sorry that we didn't get to be a part of that day, but we heard it was beautiful, emotional, it was all the things that, that it is. Aren't you glad, though, we're done with that part? So there's a lot of, man, you can cry and you can pray, and eventually you're just like, okay, onward, onward. And so uh, good things are ahead for, for Grace Hill. They really are. Next week, uh, to, to my understanding, Pastor Ryan and Lauren will be here, and we'll be starting on a new era. And so for today, <clears throat> I, want to, uh, I want to take some time, and I just want to encourage you, if that's okay. I want to talk with you this morning about the reward of the Lord. How many of us understand that, really, we, we talk so frequently, and rightly so, that God has a right to our obedience— we talk about holiness, we talk about worship and praise, the things that we give to God. And uh, this morning, I just want to talk about a God who is so good that despite the fact that he has given his very life, his very son on our behalf, even still he looks forward to rewarding us for responding to the reward that he gave us. That doesn't even make earthly sense. That he is so kind, that he knows us so intimately, and he thinks about us so much, that in our life, as we progress through and do different things and we live faithfully, he is looking forward to the day when he can be with you with no filters, as in person as whatever it is, to be before the eternal God, and he looks forward to rewarding you. That's an important thing to keep in mind. Um, a few years ago, really, really it was about two years ago, an article was circulating on Facebook, and I saw it, and it was actually a retrospective of my high school basketball team. I graduated in 1998, the year of our Lord, from Odessa Permian, and I actually have a picture of this article that was circulating. It's out of the Odessa American, and uh, it was talking about my high school basketball team. So this is just from a couple of years ago, and these are probably our three best players, and we had that particular year, a bit of a magical year. Odessa Permian is very well known for being a football superpower. Uh, we've been more powerful in the past than we are at this moment, but the glory shall return, and once more, we will be winning state championships. Here we hope. But this is a school that has inspired movies, has inspired TV shows, and in 1998, as the wheels were beginning to fall off of decades of dominance, we had this bright spot in the school, and it was this, that once in a blue moon, somehow the basketball team was pretty good. And so these were three of our best players, and uh, the article was specifically about three of my former teammates getting together to play in a summer basketball camp, and so now, you know, we're all in our 30s and all that sort of stuff. But over here on the left, that was E.J. Miller, 
He was fierce. He was trash talking. He was good. Uh, he was just an incredible player. In the middle of that was John Johnson, just a fierce mid-range game, which is really not even needed in the NBA today. It's all three-pointers. But in high school, mid-range shots still count for something. And so just an incredible player. And then over there on the right, you have Roy Williams. Of course, Roy Williams went on to have a really incredible uh, college career for the University of Texas and played as a wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys, for the Detroit Lions, for the Chicago Bears. He was an incredible athlete. Just figuring out his superpowers, he was 15 years old on the varsity team and playing just like an absolute man. The dude was good. And so I'm reading this article... And as I read it, I began to, to get a little sad. And I couldn't figure out why I was feeling sad. And then I did figure out why I was feeling sad. I got to the end of the article, and it mentioned player after player, and it mentioned game after game, and all of these sorts of things. And as we went through there, let's just say I wasn't mentioned at all. <laughs> Not that, to be honest, I, I expected to be. Uh, I was not in the class of these guys. Roy was one of three players on my team at my position that were all district on that basketball team. I was buried in the bench, hardly ever in danger of coming into the game. But I was a guy who I loved basketball so much. It meant so much to me that as a sophomore and a junior, I would practice early in the mornings with my teams and I would come back and practice with a varsity in the evening. I loved basketball. It meant absolutely everything to me, that real team dynamic. And my friend Landon sent me this article. I had, of course, already seen it. And he said, man, what does this make you think? I said, it kind of makes me sad. And he said, why? And I'm thinking, why does it matter so much that I wasn't mentioned? I mean, I I don't think, we're all a mixed bag of motives sometimes. But I don't think I'm someone who typically looks for compliments or needs someone to say, you're special too. You know, I don't think so. And I think what bothered me was I I thought about the years I put into it, uh, how hard I worked, how much I cared about it on an emotional, very deep emotional level, and the fact that whenever that team is thought about all these years later, nobody even knows I was there. So I think about it, does it matter? You know what I put in? And then I think about the rest of life. And of course, life is so much bigger than basketball. You move on and we have careers and we have children, we have marriage, we have all sorts of things that we build our life around, things that matter a lot to us. How do we know if we're doing good? How do we know if it matters, the things that matter to us and the things we give? And then at some point along our lives, we meet Jesus. And what he wants from us is not just to add him into whatever, whatever we're already doing. He says, follow me and be willing to reorient the priorities of everything else in your life, to leave them behind if need be, or to change the way that you think about them, prioritize them, and approach them. Whenever Jesus says to follow him, it, it totally changes the priority of absolutely everything else. And so we see this in Scripture— that as people come to know God, they do reprioritize everything else. They leave it. They follow him. And the good thing to know is that he doesn't just tell us to follow him. He rewards following him. And he doesn't reward like the world rewards. He thinks of details. He thinks of individuals. 
he sees us totally differently. And so this is so important for us to think about, I think, because of this. The command to give everything to him is something that we don't even have to think twice about because of what we get in return. And one of the best things we can do for our joyfulness in everyday life and our longevity and faithfulness to God is to keep the reward out in front of us. So we see in Revelation chapter 22, of course, Revelation being the last book of the Bible, and we get a glimpse at sort of how things go down at the end, whether we're here for it or whether we've already you know, passed away before that point. Jesus says this, he says, look, I am coming quickly. My reward is with me to repay each person according to what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Whenever we think of, of God repaying, so frequently we think of the wrath of God upon sinners. Oh, we've got to get right because we don't want that wrath of God. But Jesus is talking here very specifically about his reward. I am looking forward to repaying each person for what he has done. And so today, I'm going to speak to us in an intentionally lopsided manner. Is that okay? This in one sermon cannot ever be, of course, but won't be the whole counsel of God. This is going to be a very focused, intentional message to talk about the reward of the Lord. What does he reward? Does he only reward the flashiest work done for him? Does he only reward us whenever our life is going along in such a way that we can be involved every day in church stuff? Does he only reward those who are most active in visible ministry? Does he only reward the most talented contributors? Does he only reward us if I haven't cussed in six weeks and and I'm doing really good in other areas? How does God reward? I want to talk about that. Specifically, I want to talk about four things that he rewards us for. So let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for your faithfulness to this church. Because they're on our minds, Lord, your blessings on Pastor and Michael and Tamara. As they, move, as they move forward into what you have for them. Pray your blessings on Pastors Ryan and Lauren as, as they come here to lead us and to be with us. Lord, we pray your blessings on us. Today, we, we look at your word as a congregation and as individual followers of you. Some of us have been in the faith for years and some of us are brand new. Some of us here today are very healthy and some of us are sick. Some of us are very young, some of us are old, some of us are rich, some of us are poor, some of us are single, some of us are married. All of us are yours. You are paying attention. Jesus, I pray that we can be encouraged this morning by your goodness. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the first thing that that God rewards, it's in your outline this morning, you've got blanks and I usually joke, you can stick some gum in it if you don't want to use it. Use it. This morning I've given you so much scripture and I think this is something that you should take with you and look at through the course of the week. And the first thing I want to say this morning is that the Lord will reward our work. The Lord will reward our work. We know scripture tells us that we were created in Christ Jesus, that we have been redeemed by him for the purpose of doing good works. 
good work that he's prepared in advance for us to do is what scripture says. So that whenever God created you and formed you together in your mother's womb, he already looked at your life, looked through your life, saw your life down the road and saw specific things that he wants you to do for him in his name with his love. What kind of things? All kinds of things. All sorts of different things. The challenge is this, is that uh, sometimes whenever we're get, getting started in a new work, we've got the goosebumps, we're ready to show up for day one, first day of school, on fire, you know, the things that happen, we're ready to go. But a lot of days, work just feels like work. Some days the emotions aren't there to go along with it. Sometimes we do something for someone who doesn't say thank you and maybe they don't even notice. Sometimes we do something in Jesus' name, very clearly, emphatically a work of ministry, and we wonder if it falls to the ground. We wonder if people notice. So, back to my basketball analogy, if I can just wallow a little more in that period of life. So I talked to you about how important it was to me Every sports team I was ever on, a lot of jobs I've ever had, if there was a work ethic award, I was that guy. Like, I may not have always had the talent to accompany my love. Basketball never loved me back, but nobody worked harder than me. And so at the end of that magical season where we made this deep run into the playoffs, the you know wheels fell off the Cinderella cart and we got owned eventually. And so we went home tearfully, but... At the end of the year, we're still reflecting on a great season. And so we're at the awards banquet, and the award I won, really the only one I had a shot at winning, was called the Relentless Pursuit of Excellence Award. Now, it didn't say the attainment of excellence. Never got there. But the pursuit of excellence. I was relentlessly pursuing it, and so I got this work ethic award. And it's so funny how this moment played out. We're in this sports banquet, and we're saying things like the offensive most valuable player of the year goes to E.J. Miller, averaged 19.3 points a game, whatever. Woo, crowd going nuts. It's the banquet, right? It's the big night. There was something about how my award was announced. It was a cadence in the person that read it. It was the way something else was going on, and then we were trying to get it right. And they said, and the Relentless Pursuit Award goes to Lennon Nolan. Crickets. <laughs> Crickets. Nobody clapped. And one of my teammates looks down at, at me, and he's like, what is going Come on. Come on. And, he gets, and it was just this embarrassing moment. And it was made up for by the fact, though, that my name is immortalized and engraved in the halls of Odessa Permian for the Relentless Pursuit of the Award and my name is misspelled. (laughs) My name is misspelled on the plaque. And I was talking to my coach later about it, and we're sort of laughing about it, and he goes, Lennon, here's the thing. I don't want to fix it. And I was like, why? And he said, here's something that's true about you, and here's something that's true in life. A lot of the things and a lot of the people that do some of the hardest work will go unnoticed. A lot of people that do a lot of things are anonymous to the rest of the world. We'll never get the credit that down here they deserve. And I will say this, that was healthy for me. I needed to be the kind of person, we all need to be the kind of people that don't do something and then look to see who noticed. 
that don't serve. Jesus talks about, you know, those who do things to be seen by men. And he says, I tell you what, they've received their reward in full. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, I hope you enjoy the attaboys and the, oh, wow, look how, how amazing you are. He says, because if that's what you're doing it for, that's all the reward that you're going to get. And so Jesus actually says things like, don't let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. He's literally saying, just serve, just work in his name, knowing that the rewards may not always come here, but that's not whose rewards we're working for anyway, right? And so we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, uh, a, a minister known for his work ethic, he outworked them all. You know, he says at one point, I don't think anyone would have, um, would have contradicted him either. But his work was being questioned by a group of people he loved. They were questioning his motives. They were telling him, you know what? You're not very talented. You're not a great preacher. And he's being attacked by these people that he loves and who he's serving. And so this is what he says, and I think that it's a good way for us to think about the work that we do. Paul says this, now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. What does this mean? A person who's given work by God to do, and we've all been given work by God to do. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear. In other words, I'm doing it with a clear heart to the best of my ability with purity, but I don't even trust my own judgment. That doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. He will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. So Paul is not just, not only is he not getting the attaboy that he rightly deserves by people he loves and he's serving, he's getting criticism from them. So far from reward for his work, he's getting, he's getting criticized about it. And Paul eventually says, you know what? How you think about me doesn't matter. I'm not even going to focus on how I think about me. God will reward. He evaluates our motives and the whys. And so in the most public or obscure of efforts, God will reward. So what does he reward when it comes to our work? Jesus gives an example. He says, I tell you what, if you so much as give a cup of water to a little one because he's my disciple, you won't lose your reward. So God rewards little things like that. And he rewards disaster relief. Going into, going into a disastrous setting and giving everything you have. He, he rewards us for stopping to talk to someone because we feel prompted by the Holy Spirit. You know, this, this powerful thing of being used by God in the middle of a day. He rewards the mom who's walking the carpet with a crying baby, praying for him in the middle of the night when no one else sees. He rewards deeds great and small, He rewards sacrificing of life for the faith in the smallest action that is reflective of his love and character and the way he cares for someone else. God rewards it all. So it doesn't matter if anyone sees what you do. It doesn't matter if anyone applauds what you do. God loves what you do. If you're doing it with a heart for him, he's pleased. And here's the thing. 
Jesus said this, you know, he said, we've got to work while it's day because night is coming when no man can work. Whether it's going to be the short time that we all have to live and we don't know when that time is up or Christ comes back and every opportunity that we would have had to do something for him is gone. It's just important to do the work. And we never know what will tip the scales and make an impact in somebody's life. So Crystal and I have this friend. Her name is Linda. Linda is a doctoral student at Texas A&M Commerce over in Commerce, Texas. And she's uh, pursuing a PhD in education. And so Linda is this international student. She's from Zimbabwe. And every college she has been to, and this, I've just known her since she's been in America, but at one point she was at Collin County Community College right down the road. Then she was at Tarleton State University in Stephenville and now at Texas A&M Commerce. And at every place, Linda, this wonderful young woman, has just started a Bible study because she wanted to talk about Jesus with whoever would listen. And she's done this at three different schools now for years. This last year, she was telling Crystal and I about something that had happened. She had a Bible study one Tuesday night. And like other nights, you know, some came and some didn't. It wasn't a massive thing. It was a handful. And so one young lady walked in and sat down and she said, I don't have a Bible. And Linda said, here, you can use mine. And so Linda handed her her Bible and they talked about whatever they talked about. And they did whatever they do. And at the end of the night, Linda hoped it had gone well, and they prayed, and they hung out a little while, and everyone went home. The next time Linda opened her Bible, she found this note in there. I was about to give up soon. I'm glad I decided to come. Thanks for letting me use your Bible. It was a big night. It didn't seem like a big night. Her welcoming that girl in and giving her her Bible was actually a huge act, but it probably seemed like the smallest thing. This girl was about to give up, but she probably didn't seem that off in the meeting. This is why the work we do for God is so important. Whatever we do, whether it's ministry related or something in the marketplace or at home, Doing stuff in the name of God matters. And so Revelation 14 says, write this down. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the spirit, they are blessed indeed for they will rest from their hard work and their good deeds will follow them. So there will of course be a point where for eternity work does not feel like work and it's going to be great. And it's going to be restful and it won't seem demanding and sacrificial and the things that work can sometimes seem. But what we have to know is on this side, I, I love this. This has become one of my favorite scriptures. Their good deeds will follow them. When you go to heaven, when you pass away, every good work that you have done here, big and small, goes with you. It follows you. And the Lord is looking forward to you being in his presence and he will reward you for it. The Lord rewards work. So let's do work. Secondly, the Lord rewards sacrifice. You remember this passage in Mark chapter 10, famous passage. Um, Young rich man comes up to Jesus and says, I want to follow you. You know, what must I do to have eternal life? And there's this exchange And Jesus actually comes down to him and says, one thing you lack, go and sell all you own, give it to the poor, and then follow me. 
And it says that he went away sad. Scripture also points out specifically that Jesus looked at him and loved him, was moved for him, loved this young man. But whenever he told him what to do, he walked away sad because he had many possessions. I want to follow you, but I don't want to, I don't want to sacrifice. Jesus had his finger on the idol of this man's heart. It wasn't a command that Jesus gave to every single person who interacted with, but Jesus will ask each of us to sacrifice those most important things because anything that is off limits to God is the definition of an idol. Not this, not for you, you're not worth that. And so Peter begins to tell Jesus that he watches this exchange happen and Peter's like, that guy would not give it all, but he goes, hey, in case you missed it, we have left everything and followed you. We have done that. That's exactly what we've done. Now, if you've never felt tension between what Jesus wants of you and what you perhaps selfishly might want for yourself, it's coming. I promise you. There will come a point, but that is the definition of sacrifice, laying down something that is valuable to us. And so I know people who have sacrificed incredible Things and, and sometimes people don't think they should be given up. You know, in Chi Alpha, uh, the college ministry we were a part of for so long, we saw young man and young woman after young man and young woman lay down, um, lay down their degrees to step into the ministry. That wasn't the point of being in Chi Alpha, but we saw the call of God come into people's lives time and time again. And as they made that choice, sometimes parents could not be any more embarrassed or disappointed that if they wanted to move and serve a Fortune 500 company or even enlist in the army and their life be in danger in the Middle East, that's one thing, and it's admirable. But to go and give your life in the Middle East to share the love of Christ was embarrassing and not something that, not a sacrifice that people respected. Sacrifice can also look different. It can look down turning, like, look like turning down the new car payment because you're committed to giving to missionaries. It can look like opening up an evening of your time for a community group when really you just, you value that time at home and you don't have a lot of nights at home. It's sacrifice is what it is. I hope I can tell this story. The person is in here and I don't want to embarrass them, but I'm going to without using their name. A few years ago, we had a marriage conference here at the church. And that particular year, Crystal and I were going to be the, well, you didn't get to come that time. That particularly, I'm sorry, unnecessary conversation happening from the stage. <laughs> that particular day, uh, I was going to be speaking, and I was talking with Pastor Michael about things, and it was in this big ice storm. It was this crazy year. But Pastor Michael was talking about one of our church members who was wrestling with whether or not to come, and Pastor Michael said this, here's the thing, he would have to take off of work that day, and he makes a lot of money. And so it wasn't a thing where you know, do we have the $50 in budget and do we want to pay it to come to the day? It was, do I want to lose thousands of dollars to come to the day? And Pastor Michael talked about the wrestling, but this man, you know, wanted to, you know, be a part of the day, wanted he and his wife to get to sit in the teaching about marriage, all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, the end, they did it. No one knew they ever did it, but that's the point about sacrifice. Sometimes no one will ever know. No one will ever know how costly it was to you, how much it means to you. And what you have to know is that God does. 
He sees the sacrifice. He sees you postponing some sort of dream that you have so that you can take care of an elderly parent. He sees you laying some things down so you can be there for your kids, so you can be a good friend. He sees it. And so we don't have to feel like we have to do like Peter rightfully, you know, pointed out, hey, in case you didn't notice, we have left everything and followed you. This was Jesus's response. I assure you, there is no one who has left a house or brothers or sisters, mother or father, children or fields because of me in the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more. Now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions, life's still going to be hard, but you'll receive these other things and eternal life in the age to come. And so he gives us a little bit of a preview of heaven. What Jesus is saying is that if you all have one another and we love each other well and we're sharing life, then the things you give up, you have access to because we're sharing life. So that's important that we are part of God's blessing to each other on this earth. But then the second part where he says an eternal life in the age to come, when it comes to rewards, can I ask you this? When was the last time you thought about heaven and were remotely excited. A lot of times we think of heaven like a song service that won't end, like, goodness, legs are going numb and this is for eternity. Not the case at all. Sometimes we think of heaven and we just think of the scriptures where it talks about it's, things are going to be this tall and this wide and we try to think in all these terms. Listen, that's just the layout of the heavenly city. Heaven is the restoration of a whole earth, of a whole life that is everything God intended it to be. And for all time, never ending, him rewarding us with the best ideas from an infinitely creative mind. Eternal life in the age to come. Sometimes thinking about that is sort of like trying to tell a five-year-old about a 401k. It's like, oh, this is a good idea, I guess. But really what it's meant to be is a blessed hope something that we look forward to, something that we know will actually be better than marriage if we are single, something that we know will actually be better than seeing grandchildren, something that we know, I'm not saying that we're in any rush to get there. I'm not saying that I'm in a rush to get there, but I'm saying Jesus holds it out to us as an ultimate reward. And he's saying, this is going to be great. And I'll tell you, whenever it becomes more encouraging, than it sometimes is whenever we're healthy and in pursuit of, of the next career goal or whatever, when we're suffering. And that's the third thing Jesus rewards. The Lord will reward our suffering. One thing that God makes it possible to do, that our relationship with him and knowing that we are saved makes possible is to suffer well and to suffer with hope. But sometimes it's not just what you're going through that makes suffering difficult. It's the fact that it can last so long, <laughs> the length of time. So I have a picture here of a, of a young Florence Chadwick. You'll remember her perhaps from just legendary stories of her swimming incredible lengths. She swam the English Channel. She was the first woman to do that. Just an incredible athlete. And so one of the powerful stories that came out of her really uh, incredible career was she wanted to become the first person to swim from the Catalina Islands to the shore of California. And so in 1952, she sets out to do that. And so the particular day, it was incredibly cold. 
you know, the wind's blowing some and it was really foggy. She gets in the water and she starts swimming and she swims for 15 hours. And eventually she's just so exhausted and she's telling the boats who are with her, I'm done, I want to get out. Her mother's in the boat saying, no, you're so close. We're so close, you can make it, keep going. And here's the thing, it it was just fog. She's just swimming in a wall of fog. She has no reference point for are we getting to the end or things going to be okay? She's just swimming in this massive fog. Eventually she says, I'm done, I can't go anymore. And so they pull her into the boat and um, it turns out they were less than half a mile away from the shore. So the next day she was in a press conference and they were asking her about it. And she said, listen, I'm not trying to make excuses or anything, but she said, I think if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. All I could see was fog. Heaven, our heavenly hope is meant to be the shore that we see out there, that we look forward to. And so we can suffer well. We can keep going because we have this thing that's there. And so we set our mind on God and we know that he's going to reward. Here's what Mother Teresa said. Mother Teresa is intimately acquainted with suffering, right? She gave her own life ministering in just the poverty district of Calcutta in India. And she says this, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth a life full of the most atrocious tortures on earth will be seen to be no more than one night in an inconvenient hotel. It's not to say that the suffering we endure isn't serious. It's just to say the heaven we're going to is infinitely better. And it is a worthy reward. That's why Paul said, I consider our present sufferings are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. We will be different Life will be different. We'll begin to finish up now. Revelation 21, 2 through 4, talks about that city. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God the unfiltered, unhindered, literal presence of God. That's where we're headed one day. And listen to this. If you ever wonder if he notices you and your suffering, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. Our suffering that seems never-ending, that is the part that will pass away. Here's what God does with your tears. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. God sees you. If we ever wonder if God understands, we look at the cross. Flawless life, being punished for other people's sins, tortured, At one point, there was a blanket thrown over Jesus' head, and they were beating him in the head with a staff. And they said, hey, prophesy, who's hitting you? They lashed him. They nailed him to a cross. I tell you, one thing we never feel like, we should never feel like we have to do when we're suffering is to shake our hands at heaven. Why, Why are you doing this? 
you don't understand what this is like. He understands what it is like. And then the resurrection, suffering doesn't get the last word. That's why Jesus said, because I live, you also will live. He's going to do away with all of that. And it's going to be good. So the Lord rewards our work. The Lord rewards our sacrifice. The Lord rewards our suffering. And then lastly, just the Lord rewards our faithfulness. Sticking it out. Doing the best you can to be holy, to honor him, to be with him. Before I fill in this last blank, I want to close with what's become another favorite scripture of mine. I have like 12 of those every week I preach. I don't know if you noticed. I'll show you another favorite scripture of mine. But this is Jesus talking about being faithful, being ready to serve. And, and he says this, Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 37. He says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. So Jesus is talking about, I'm coming back. The servants who were ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. But look at this. I tell you the truth. He himself will seat them. So Jesus is saying, I will seat you. I will put on an apron and serve you while you sit and eat. So far from the eternal worship service, that's going to be part of heaven. But I'm just saying it's, you don't walk through the pearly gates, open your hymnal and never sit down again. Jesus is saying he is looking forward to being with you in heaven. And then at the point where finally with, with unhindered bodies and infinite energy, where we would rightfully, you know, praise our heart out for eternity and just tell him how good he is, do for him, do for him, do for him. All of those things are going to be wonderful and in some form will be there. Jesus just is so good that he's looking forward to the day of being with you, sitting you down. How do you like your coffee? Don't tell me. I know. And serving you. This is wild. He just is that wonderful that he looks forward to it. He wants to be with you. He's going to serve you. He's going to serve me and it freaks me out. Don't serve me. You sit down. Let me do the... He just is this kind. The Lord rewards. So how great is our God? That's the last point. He deserves all rewards. And yet he rewards us. That's my closing encouragement is don't grow weary in well-doing. If you're working hard and no one is noticing, keep working hard, but do it for him because he does notice. If you're sacrificing and you're giving and you're giving and you're giving and you're wondering when's it going to come back to you, I don't know when on this side and how it works out. God does different things for each of us. But I can tell you one day it's all going to come back. And it's going to seem like you sacrifice nothing. For if you're suffering in here, you're treading water. When does this end? All of your tears are written down in his book. Kept in a bottle by him. And he is going to restore you. If you've been faithful and you're waiting for the payoff, there's going to be a payoff. That's what I promise you. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Amen? Amen. Jesus, we love you so much. 
We thank you that you notice us, that you see us. There is not one of us in this room today who is as anonymous as we might feel. For all the results we might not see, there's not one of us in here that won't see incredible payoff from the things that we've done and the things we will do. So Lord, I ask you to help us to work with the right motives, to make you smile, to give you the reward of your suffering, to somehow bless you and make a wise investment of the talents you've given us, of the money you've given us, of the opportunities you've given us. Lord, we want to work hard for you. Lord, for giving sacrificially, maybe some of us in here have been afraid to do that, whether that's making room in our calendar for somebody to give in that way, whether it's to do something financially you've asked us to do. Lord, may we see that you've provided and you'll continue to provide. Lord, help us remain faithful and help us suffer well if, if we're in suffering. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.